You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. This is episode 54, and I'm Brandon. And I'm Allison. And we have a jam-packed show today, plenty of things to talk about, but absolutely first, I must know, how's Tiny? Tiny's good. I used my Tiny's colonies uh, this week. I made some bread. Um, it, it turned out pretty good. Tiny's colony. You have an interest. Well, you, you you seem to be still working through this whole naming thing. <laughs> well, I was going it- to just say tiny, and then I realized that it's it's not really one person again. It's a whole group of things. So I I think that was where the just right now, just like my brain was processing it, and it just came out as Tiny's colonies. <laughs> Tiny's colonies works. I mean, yeah. maybe that will become the like the the long form version of the name anyway. But Tiny's colonies being your sourdough starter for anyone still trying to catch up and wonder what, what you've named Where, Tiny. What is this? Uh, no, it's good. I I uh, took it out of the fridge this week. I think you know soon after we did, named it because I was going to put a name on it, but I didn't have any tape or anything available at the time, so I pulled it out and then um you know we ran out of bread, so I decided to make some. Um, and it's pretty good. It's a little, I needed to keep it in the oven for maybe two or three more minutes longer than what I did um, because the inside was really soft, like gooey soft, like still kind of raw, but it's fine. I mean, we just toast it usually and that, that, don't even taste it. That solves it. Did you yeah. cut into it too early though? Was that what really happened? Were you no, impatient? I, no, I didn't because I was like, I'll just, it was by the time it was done and I took it out of the oven, it was like. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and I had to go to bed and I just was, you know, we, I just had dinner and I was so full and just going to leave it for, you know, the next day and have it for some of it for breakfast. Um, so I didn't even touch it, just sat there on the counter all night, just cooling. Um, but the only thing that did, I guess, turn out not, it's not a bad thing, but um, I do need to do this or be a little more aware of it is um, I didn't salt the dough enough. And so it's kind of want want bland um so when i've been toasting it i've been putting like putting salt on top of it so oh. it tastes better um because it just tastes really bland it doesn't have any flavor um not even like the sourdough flavor usually that it usually does so what do you think happened there do you think that it was something that uh for for the sour aspect of it i mean i would think that if there's not as much salt and if everything was done the same that it might even be a little bit more active but maybe more in the yeast side of things yeah, it rose really well, but it just didn't really like the, it just didn't have that same salt flavor. Um, I just kind of, instead of um, weighing it out or measuring it and stuff, I just kind of like eyeballed it because I've done it so often now. I think that I'm good enough. I'm like, no, nah, this is, this is about right. Just dump that in there. Um, and I underestimated the salt. Um, and so I didn't get that really good sour, sour flavor. Hey, that's but, okay. Less, uh, too little salt. You can add more. But uh, the one time my <laughs> wife used tables, like two tablespoons as opposed to two teaspoons of salt in some uh, pancakes or something that she was making. Oh no! Ooh, those were uh, hard to get down. But they were they they. I like salt, but that was a little much. So too much salt. is too much is is harder to deal with. I think. Yeah, I have a pretty high salt tolerance, um, but there is stuff where I'm like, whoa, that is way too salty. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it's okay. It turned out fine. We're, we're, we're still eating it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's everything else of, of Tiny and everything that's going on in his little world is um, going well. 
So other than that, I haven't not made any other fermented foods this no, week. Been no more busy. kefir? No, we're still eating all the other kefir that I made. Um, mm. Haven't gotten through it because it was a lot. And we usually just have like a shot glass full of kefir. Um, we've been having a little more recently because, you know, we have a lot. But yeah, I, it's kefir is one of those things that I make a lot of it because I find that it tastes best and ferments the best for me, or at least the, the culture that I have, if I do it regularly, like when I take it out of the fridge and ferment it, it's not as good as when I ferment every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just putting it directly right back into fresh milk, I really like that cycle that it gets. And since I'll have a vegetable smoothie or sometimes a fruit smoothie or, or um, with the base being kefir generally or yogurt. Um, I can go through a quart of yogurt between my wife and I in the morning for breakfast. So we'll, we'll do that and that works for the most part. But then I've also got all these other yogurts. So if one of those is starting to go um, towards the end of its um, usable stage, then I'll throw that in there too and then I'll have more kefir and then I have to put it in the refrigerator and then I have to go through another couple days where it's not quite as good. So it is, it is one of those things where it's, it's to get it just the way I want it. I do have to go through a lot. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what we're doing and we're, you know, we're transitioning from one house to another. So we have, um, kind of that that's taken precedence and priority over doing fermentations right now. But, um, hopefully when we get to, we get all settled into this new place, um, with, our bigger kitchen, it'll be, it'll be a lot easier to be doing fermentations a lot more and more frequently. So I even found, um, a cart online that I'm thinking about purchasing. It has, uh, wheels on the bottom so I can put all my ferments on the cart and then kind of move it to the corner in the kitchen or, you know, wherever it needs to go. So it's not in the way. So, um, kind of excited about that. Yeah. Was this inspiration after our last talk of people having to step over things in your, your home fermenting? Yeah, it was, it was that. And then I hadn't, I had stumbled upon it because I was looking up some other stuff. Um, and I, I found it and I was like, Oh, that's a really good idea. I, that would be great in the kitchen to put all my ferments on and stuff. And then they're not really in the way. Just yeah. The, uh, the, the other challenge that I forgot to mention when we, whenever it was that we were talking about, uh, having ferments in different locations, the other challenge on on my side side of thing that I find now is with a 16 month old son that I am getting kind of challenges to where I can even set things even for, for, for shorter ferments because he can kind of get everywhere and climb up on anything. So I don't know if I mentioned that, but yeah, that's, that's like the huge thing. So like a shelf and a cart sound amazing and I would love to be able to push something around. And especially if, if, it was warmer in one spot during the day, but I also want sun and like, it'd be like direct UV rays coming right down on the ferments. It'd be nice if I could roll it somewhere else uh, throughout the day. But with my son, that just sounds like I'm asking for trouble. <laughs> yeah. that just sounds like a nightmare and a mess to clean up. Uh, maybe, maybe in like a year or something when he's a little older and you can, he knows the difference of what to touch and what not to touch. Oh yeah. But you just like totally, I wasn't even planning to go to it, but you just totally lined up a transition. I mean, talking about messes to clean up or different things, baby poop bacteria, they make a uh, good sausage. That's according to a story or a news article and uh, science uh, published science journal article in the meat journal of meat science. You can use poop 
no, you can't use poop. You can use the bacteria from infant poop and turn it into pooperoni. So did they collect baby poop and then culture it in a lab and got and get yeast or not yeast or bacteria cultures from those poop that oh, yeah. poop and then use that to start their huh 43 fecal samples were used in healthy infants up to six months old <laughs> all right what happens if you're older than six months well Does it, do you just not have a different type of poop or well poop i change? think i think that that yes it's the it's the the, the change in the poop because it's they are looking at uh, lactobacillus and bifidobacterium in certain levels. And I don't know exactly which ones I haven't been able to find the, the actual article yet. I'd like to get a hold of that, but they're focusing on those and they're more prevalent in the, the infant child. They were taken from uh, mostly from midwives collected directly from diapers. Hmm. That's really interesting. Would you, I don't know, knowing that, well, I bet I would try it. You talked about beard, created yeast beer and different things like that. I mean. Yeah. I, I would try it. But knowing that they didn't just put baby poop in the, with the meat, knowing that in a, it was separated in a lab and they cultured these bacteriums and used that as a starter culture. Uh, that's not so gross to me, I guess, because just like. By science, by nature of knowing how laboratories work and you're making multiple generations, I mean, it's way down. Anything that ends up in your in the sausage is way far from the actual beginning product. You mean I shouldn't just try this? People. I shouldn't try this with my son's um, diaper and just Well, isn't he it? too old? You, you missed oh. out on this opportunity. Yeah, I should have totally known about this sooner because I could have just totally risked my life by just smearing some um, diaper with meat and salt and letting it go. I mean, this is a, it's not a, a it's, well, I guess you can, it, the cute title pooperoni of the article that I'll put in the, the show notes, which you can find at firmup.com slash podcast slash 54. But that is not exactly what the sausage was. It's more like a chorizo. It's a, a, a fuit, which is a Mediterranean fermented pork sausage in, in, Catalonia and other and in northeastern Spain. So that's it. The main difference between that and chorizo, according to this article, is paprika is not included in the fuet. So it's a mild, it's thinner, it's less acidic and less fatty than than chorizo as well. So it's a very mildly fermented sausage. It kind of seems like so nothing like a pepperoni, but. Still, the idea behind this was not so much that you can ferment it with those kind of things because it's understood, I think, that certain kinds of these bacteria are at certain levels in fermented meat anyway, but that the idea was looking at this for probiotic reasons. And they were looking at ones that ended up in feces because going along with the evidence towards certain, only certain bacteria will actually make it through the gut and Potentially, bacteria that go through our gut are going to create a greater difference in a probiotic sense than those that die as soon as they they can't even make it very far um, that that die upon digestion. So, the idea was that they were making sausages that were at probiotic levels. So, looking at sausage as the way that yogurt's been marketed. Hmm. Well, I mean that makes sense using baby poop. Um, for the study instead of older 
adult feces. Um, because I was this past week, I was reading some articles about, um, breast milk and how there's a lot of, maybe they could use breast milk and isolate the cultures that are in it, um, and make sausage out of it because it's, it, they're pretty much the same, the lactobacillus and the bifidobacterium are the same thing that's found in, uh, breast milk. So goes, so, I, so that's just an interesting correlation between the two that, uh, I just happened to read this week. And breast milk breaks, brings up something else that I, uh, experimented with at one time. That's a little safer than experimenting with diaper, uh, diaper smears in, in meat is that I, I did try with breast milk to make a fermented dairy product, but it just didn't have the, it was just too thin. It didn't have the qualities that I was looking for because I was hoping to be able to make like a, a fermented breast milk ice cream. But the only kind of breast milk ice creams that I could find were made with with the addition of, of dairy, of, of cow dairy. So I would have to have worked with it a little bit more, but it just, I was kind of disappointed because I was very excited to ferment breast milk. And so I guess I'd, I'd have to, to get a bunch of uh, breastfeeding mothers involved to, to start getting more supply because my son's done breastfeeding. So I missed out on that one too. <laughs> well, there's always next time. You never know when that'll come up again or never really, to be honest, thought about it or um, so. Not everyone thinks about uh, breast milk yogurt. No, <laughs> I don't, never thought of it. Oh, hey. Well, there's something for everyone to, to go out there and try. Yeah. If you know but anyone, I, just if you know anyone, send it to Brandon. Yes. Um and well, would you try this back this pooperoni? Oh, totally. I mean because okay. yeah, like you're talking about, I think it's it's more on a marketing set or a journalistic make people click on things kind of thing. Yes, it's it's catches people's attention. Pooperoni or baby poop sausage, different I mean it actually went around to a lot of different different websites. I could see multiple places that mentioned it. It's really not in reality. Yes, that might have been where it was inspired from, but it's not really poop sausage in my mind. No, I mean, once you read the article, I mean, yeah, it's more eye-catching and um, interesting when you read the title than when you actually read it and you're like, oh, they cultured that in a lab. But I mean, they're still using baby poop to to get these cultures, so it's not... So that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, it, it, I think that the the it's a valid study and valid sourcing of of bacteria so i think that that i'm not saying anything less about the the actual science thing but of course the journalist like needing you know want clicks it's definitely a good eye catcher as well it draws people in and and whatnot but i mean yeah i would totally eat this because i would i would have i was disappointed that the michael pollan's belly button and ben wolf's toe jam cheeses weren't available for people to try i mean i don't know if those those ones weren't as far removed from their original culturing medium so those ones may or may not have been as edible but they should have been i don't know why they wouldn't be if they made cheeses but i would try that too i would probably try them um just to try it you never you never know you might like it might be like the new undiscovered umami flavor we may not even realize that there's a you know seventh or sixth flavor. Toe jam. Toe jam. Toe That's jam. It, just toe jam. Umami plus. Yeah. Um, well, when we were doing all of our research this week, you and I, we stumbled on the same article, which I thought was kind of cool because that never happens. Um, 
with the fermenters club that's here in San Diego. Well, how could we not stumble on it? It's awesome. I mean, it's, it's a good video. It's, it's not just article. It's like a, a, a video. You can go and watch the fermenters club lead guy, Austin. You can watch him with a, uh, with a, with a, with a cape on. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, so I started watching the whole thing from the beginning. Um, because they were talking a little bit about San Diego and um, the lady who who runs the show has a very successful restaurant here. Uh, it's a Thai restaurant. It's delicious. Um, and it's just kind of a small mom and pop shop. It's not anything that if you did not live in San Diego, uh, you probably wouldn't even know of it and go there. Um, it's just called Saffron and it's kind of hidden, like tucked away and um, kind of an odd place in, in, in San Diego. But um she hosts the show that I didn't even realize that she hosted on uh, PBS here. And uh, so she was talking about um, a farm that is called Susie's Farms that's um, almost on the U.S.-Mexico border. And um, they're pretty big here. They do a lot of local foods for – or they provide a lot of foods for the local restaurants. And they have lots of CSA boxes and uh, really cool stuff. But they have a farm that you can go visit. And I love that idea because there's a lot of people here. I mean, this is an urban environment. Not a lot of people garden. Um, and if they do, they don't have such a big – they don't have a very big plot. And you can only do a small amount of vegetables. So you can take your kids down there or even yourself and get a whole tour of – I think they have like 150 acres um, of, of uh, gardens that you can walk through. And they have classes and stuff. So that's what they were doing. Um, Austin was there giving a presentation on how to ferment foods. And I think the Cape makes a little bit more sense knowing that he was presenting to kids, a part of a program called pro kids. It's a nonprofit that works with underserved youth. And I'm not exactly sure all that you can see some of the things that they do in the, in the video, but I don't know enough about pro kids to know anything to, to give anything about that, but he was presenting to kids. So he's showing them how to make sauerkraut and he's got a red cape on, which is always awesome because fermentation in the microbes sometimes feel like superheroes to me. So it fits to have a cape on. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. I didn't, I, I, I had never heard of pro kids until this um, episode and I kind of, I listened to it a little bit and then I kind of fast forwarded it a little bit uh, to get to Austin and he does a really good job of describing what fermentation is and how it works. Uh, so if, and I like watching him hand do the hands-on cooking thing because uh, sometimes you read a recipe on fermentation or just a recipe in general and you're like, how does that work? What does he mean by that? Or if the recipe's not written very well. So it's fun to watch him do it and then talk to, um, I forget the lady's name, but um, the lady that owns the restaurant. But it's a really cool, really cool little snippet of 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 a show. Um, and if you want to watch just that part, I think it's like 15 minutes in. Yeah, it's, it's worth seeing and it's worth watching. I mean, it's a, yeah, 25 minutes. It's a, it's a nice production too. It's not some little thrown together as, as what I imagine like some, well, I guess it's PBS, so it's, it would be decent anyway. But I, I was for a second, I was thinking lo local broadcast type stuff, but um, from back in the day. Yeah. But, well, either way, I mean, yeah, she, they did a very good job with the production quality of the video. Makes me want to be out at the farm. Makes me want to, uh, I'm assuming this was 
pre-recorded a little bit different timing, but other, either way, I mean, it just, it looks nice and warm. I like that. So if you're feeling cold in the Midwest or the East coast or anywhere else, and you just want to feel warm and fuzzy, go watch this. Yeah. I mean, I think that they recorded, they had to have been a few months ago. Um, but, uh, today it was pretty nice. It was like 70. So February. It was, it was really nice actually. Not not to make you feel bad. But. No, we're just you know, it, like I was excited about just having sun in in, uh, in the upper twenties, and you know we're about to dip down to the negatives again. So yeah, Woo. I just yeah, I know that they had like there was a a quote unquote heat wave in the Midwest this oh, past yeah. week. <laughs> My sister sent me um, a text message of her running, and there was still snow melting on the ground, and she had shorts on, and it was. It was like 30 degrees, but I mean, it's been so cold that that's to, to her, that feels so warm. Uh, and then my niece, my, my sister-in-law sent me a picture of my niece laying in the grass, just like kissing it. Cause they hadn't seen snow or they hadn't seen the grass since like November, probably the same for you too. Oh yeah. This is the first time I'm starting to see dead grass, but yeah, it's still, it's still grass. Yeah. So it it's. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes me kind of miss home a little bit, you know, the Midwest, but it is kind of nice when it's the weekend and it's like 70 and sunny and warm and you're wearing shorts and a t-shirt. So huh. in February, so I'm not, I'm not complaining, but, um, I'm anyway. sure I'd be in a shortened t-shirt anytime in the winter there until I adjust if I was <laughs> out there. So, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't get that cold here very often when it's cold, it's like in the fifties at night. <laughs> Um, this has actually been a really warm winter. Um, usually it's a lot more, it's a lot rainier. Um, and we're actually in, in a drought. So, um, hasn't, it has not rained here for, I don't think it's rained since December. So that's a long time. Yeah, so so you, of... you've got your own weather problems that just don't yeah, have to be cold. Yeah, we have our own weather problems. It just doesn't get cold. We just have lots of, you know, uh, we just don't have enough rain. So uh, there's lots of water restrictions everywhere. Um, and they talk about it all the time. Same same as uh, in the Midwest, whenever there's a ton of snow and the weather's bad, it's they're talking about the snow and the wind chill and that sort of thing. But um, so yeah, long digression of this video. But if you're feeling cold and you want to see something warm and make you feel happy because the music kind of makes you feel happy and you see all the stuff in the garden, um, you should watch the video. And another way to stay warm, looking at other things that I was researching when earlier this week, that uh, a beer can keep a person warm through these long winters. But uh, are you familiar with this Entropy beer from Mystic Breweries? I'm kind of interested on your point of view because, again, beer is not really my thing Like that I, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. But the idea of having a beer that's been aged for a year with four different yeasts being involved throughout the process, is that more marketing kind of stuff? Or since it is being created by uh, Mystic River and the person creating it is a former MIT researcher with a doctorate in plant biochemistry, is that something that uh, that they are actually trying to push yeast, the edge of what yeast can do? Like, does, is that interesting to you? I think it's really interesting um, because it's, I love talking about beer and fermentation that way. Um, but I find a lot more, I don't know if this has been going on for a long time, like all of these unique beer experiments um, across the country, or if it's just been recently in the past few years with the whole craft beer explosion, if they're just, they want to do something different so they stand out more. Um, 
and they're getting a little more creative that way. But I think this is a really cool beer and I hope I get to try it sometime. Um, I think in the article it said that it was going to come out sometime and it was going to be kind of expensive. So probably won't be able to unless someone just off, you know, he gives it to me. That'd be pretty awesome. Um, well, don't get sticker shocked too much because it does look like that the there there's another uh, mention of an expensive beer being the Sam Adams Utopia beer, which is aged well includes beers from barrels that have been aged uh, for 20 years. So that one goes for 199, but this supposedly this entropy one, uh, the person, the journalist only paid 35 for the bottle. Oh, that's not bad at all. No. So it's, it's definitely approachable and it's a, it's a pretty bottle, which is always nice. I think if you're going to spend a little bit more on a, I actually, I don't know. And on a beer spectrum for something that's aged for a year. I mean, you say that sounds pretty reasonable. I mean, it seems very reasonable uh, compared to a bottle of wine. So I don't see why. Um, that, that seems expensive. I mean, is that expensive in the realm of craft beer? I, I mean, $35 is, is kind of expensive for craft beer, but if you're getting something that is, it looks like it's in a, a 750 mil bottle, which is the same size as a wine bottle. I think that it's relatively the same. I mean, cause you are paying a lot of money for wine. You can buy a $35 bottle of wine. That's maybe been it's taken maybe three or four years to make and uh beer is usually something that you make and then you can be drinking it in a few weeks um and now they're doing these extended fermentations and this extended aging because now they know so a lot they also have a lot more research involved and they know a lot more that's happening and um kind of like in winemaking the reason why they age wines for red wines for a long time um is to kind of break up those really harsh tannins that give wine kind of a bitey flavor um, if you drink it too soon or if it's a really young red wine. Uh, so they might, they might be doing something like that for brewing to see if it, if it does break down any – there's not a lot of tannins in beer, but to see if there's other things that break down that kind of give it a unique flavor. So I think it's really interesting that they're doing it with not only one yeast strain but four different ones. I – think that that's kind of the new like the new thing that people are doing is experimenting with multiple yeast strains um in one fermentation and they're even going outside of i don't know how odd this is either but going outside of just beer yeast strains and going into sherry yeast which seems to give some and english barley wine yeast but is in the the taste descriptors how how does this sound to you a three ounce pour reveals sherry vanilla and toasted almonds and then after it lingers for a little bit, maybe some sweet figs and dark fruits and barley wine and, and, uh, and, and it has the dryness of sherry, but then there's also some earth and toffee and white grape skin and tobacco. I mean, it's, it gets into a lot of different descriptors, but do those sound like craft beers that you've had before? No, not like, um, I mean, that sounds like a craft beer I've had before, but something that's been aged for a long time. Those are descriptors to described aged wine, uh, and aged beer. Um, so it's so aged beer is a thing because I'm, I really don't know a whole lot. Oh yeah. I mean, it's not, I don't think that anyone's ever used four different yeast strains to brew a beer and age it, but, um, it's sometimes you don't have to, and it's, I don't, I don't know that much about aging beer and, but I know that a lot of people, um, will age darker beers like stouts for a long period of time. If it's like a really good brew, 
Um, but I'm not sure how that all works. Cause like for winemaking, it's kind of like the vintage, like the year that it was made and it takes so many, you know, on average, it takes three to five years to make the wine and age it and bottle it. And then sometimes it even sits in the bottles for a long time before it even gets released. Um, and that's part of the mystique of winemaking, but in brewing, it's different in my mind, just because you can brew a beer, you can brew the same beer, like in, you know, every single week. So the aging part of it, it's, and maybe they just do like one single brew and that's like the limited edition, uh, aged beer that, or the beer that you're supposed to age. Um, so I don't know that much about it, but people do age beers. But it sounds like it's more of a artificial limitation as opposed to a crop or a, a, a season of wine or of grapes of sorts. It's like, I mean, grain given that it will last longer, isn't something that's as much like as soon as it's harvested, it's needing to be turned into beer. Yeah. And so I think it's, I don't know how more people, I'm sure there's a lot of people that know more about aging beer, but it's, to me, it's, I think it's really cool that you can age beer. Cause I didn't, I did not realize that until maybe a few years ago when someone gave me an aged beer. Um, it was an aged, I think it was an aged stout and it was delicious. Stouts are usually pretty like dark and malty and have like chocolate flavors to it. Um, and they just gave me a little tiny like sherry glass full of it and it was amazing. Um, and, uh, when I asked them where they got it and what it was, they said that it was like the, I don't know, the 2009 vintage or brew of such and such beer from such and such a place. And I thought like, Oh, I had no idea that you could age beer. So that kind of started this conversation. And, um, but yeah, a lot of people will age beer the same as, and keep them the same as some people collect wine and certain vintage wine vintages from certain vineyards. They retail for pretty, pretty high amount of money too. I don't know of any beer that's sold for 199 besides this Samuel Adams beer, but I think $35 for an aged beer is pretty good. Yeah, it doesn't seem bad. And I guess that brings it kind of into the the topic suggestion I kind of have for this week of talking about about beers and making beers at home. Does it actually save money as in vegetable fermentation? I think it's as long as a person has a little bit of time, even the time doesn't take very much. The active time of making fermented vegetables, I think that fermented vegetables and things like kombucha are always going to be cheaper to make at home. And I'm sure that people can always come up with arguments otherwise, but in generally, those are pretty easy sell. Like it's going to be cheaper if a person's going for a frugal or thrifty aspect to fermentation, which not everyone is. Um, and sometimes it's the experimentation. So like on the experimentation side of things, not necessarily that a person will get something that's good, but someone could experiment and probably save some money aging their own beers and make a bottle of entropy like or inspired by this entropy beer for much less than 35 a bottle, I'm assuming. Would that be safe bet? Because uh, you're pretty much yeah. paying for time and, and uniqueness, right? Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, the materials, the physical materials, like the bottle that it's going into glass is expensive and then the labeling and then, um, the shipping and the marketing and that sort of thing that all gets put into the, the beer itself, um, that you're paying for. Um, and homebrews, home, home brewing is pretty cheap after the initial cost of buying the equipment. Uh, and you can just do something very, like very basic. You don't have to get any fancy equipment. Um, I think we bought our brew set for maybe a hundred dollars three or four years, four, 
now now I think about it, it's been like four or five years. Um, and it's just like simple brewing equipment, nothing fancy, just pots and a carboy and some gal- like uh, five gallon pails. Um, and it we've been so successful at it that we haven't really advanced to anything better than that because we're pretty comfortable with the cheap system that we have that was a hundred bucks. But once you do, you know, um, I, I think by now we've pretty much gotten our money's worth out of it. But if you don't count that in and you just count the actual physical ingredients that you're using to make beer, I did the math once. If you do a five gallon, if you do five gallons of beer and just the beer itself is like 29 cents a pint. Okay. So a considerable savings. Yeah. I mean, you can go to um, just the grocery store, which would probably have the cheapest craft beer. If you're going to do craft beer, a good comparison, I think you might pay like, Ooh, I haven't bought beer in a long time um, from the grocery store. It would probably be like $12 for a six pack, I'd say, and a glass bottle. Maybe it's cheaper if you have canned beer. Um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, so here in Wisconsin, it may be a little different too. Like, you can get some of the larger craft uh, local breweries, uh, Wisconsin breweries. You can get something for like uh, eight or nine dollars for a six pack. Yeah, maybe that sounds right. I know that you can get a lot of the local San Diego beers for eight or nine dollars. Um, we've been going to a place down the street called uh, Bottlecraft that. Um, you can buy individual bottles of beer and kind of make your own six pack. So that's why I'm like, what? how much is a case of beer? I don't remember. Cause we usually just, uh, pick and choose lots of different stuff that we've never tried before. Um, but if you do the math, um, and you just count the ingredients, it's all, it's like 29 cents a pint, um, which is more than a bottle of beer. Just one. If you just get a six pack of beer, there's more beer in a pint than in beer bottle. Um, so you're saving money that way. So then the question becomes, if it is a savings on those very basic beers or basic enough that you're able to do with a relatively inexpensive startup costs, like you've been doing for the, quite a few years, maybe you're kind of biased, but is it equivalent? Does it taste good? Or I mean, obviously it probably tastes good if you're doing it, but does it taste worth spending a lot less on and putting all the effort into or is the beer from actual breweries 10 20 100 times more amazing where does it where does it fall in in that realm for most people i think that's more of like a personal like a not um i had a great word to describe it when you're asking me this question um it's like a pride thing. You you drink it and you're like, wow, that's really great. I think this tastes really great. And then if you have friends drink it and they agree with you, then that just makes it taste even better. Um, but I mean, sometimes you can have just a really bad beer. You just make it. I, I've had bad brews go. I've had brews go bad and had to throw them away without even drinking all of it. So then that was a waste of money because I literally poured it down the drain. But that happens at breweries too. I mean, the cost of that to dump a whole, you know, like a ton of beer down the drain is that's a huge punch in the gut for them. But, um, I mean, it happens. 
And I, I, I like homebrew. I like it trying other people's homebrew because I know it takes a lot of time and effort and love and patience to make it. And I think we're back to, I think, I don't even know what episode that would have been in, but when we're talking about making things at home and kind of the, there is something different about those sweat, blood and tears. I mean, the, I think there's that again, Korean thing for, for kimchi, there's a hand taste to something. So obviously your mm-hmm. hands aren't as involved in, in the making of beer, but you still have to put care and attention into it. So I'm assuming that just, well, probably similar. I mean, just as marketing works to make things taste different to, for us, put the, something in a really fancy bottle and it's most likely going to taste a little better because it's that whole experience, the whole package that comes along with it. So even if a person's making it at home, they may not have the the prettiest bottles or, you know, some of that savings in 29 cents a pint can go towards getting really fancy bottles if someone really wants to feel fancy at home for cheap. But uh, but even still, it's like it can be the most rinky dinkiest little bottle, but it was made at home with care for friends and family and just home enjoyment. And so there's there's a different it's not marketing at that point, but it's 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 there's a different story to go along with it that does affect the experience, I would assume. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that homebrew tastes so much better than, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of like really great beers and, uh, craft breweries here in, in San Diego and all over the country. I mean, wherever, wherever I'm going, whenever I go somewhere, I try to drink their local beer if they have any, um, or their local wine. If there's like a, um, a winery close, I'll try that too. Um, cause I like experimenting and I like, paying it forward and like, or paying to have that local experience and like supporting them too. all of the people who do put a lot of hard work into it and to create something that's really so great that they've marketed it and put a label on it and they're selling it and all of the taxes and headaches and um, regulations that go in into selling car, uh, alcoholic beverages. So well, that's like um, a, a totally different thing because, yeah, I mean, there's as far as I understand, too, aren't a lot of or at least the the explosion in, in craft brewing. A lot of those people started as home brewers and that was kind of their inspiration, wasn't it? I mean, not all of them went the kind of track of you of of uh, food science and fermentation science. Like, Oh, yeah. No, I definitely am. I am the oddball in the craft beer, beer world and the fermentation world because not a lot of people go to school for phys- for training on it. It might be after they've made beer or wine for a while that they go take a class on how to get better at their, at their so craft. Um, but like a formal education that I went through that was, you know, just out of pure luck, I guess, just dumb luck, I guess for me. But, um, yeah, a lot of people start home brewing just because they like it. And then they turn that into a business. Which, like you said, has comes with all of its other headaches. And those are the kind of things that a person's paying for in that more than 29 cent a pint cost. Like yeah. buying it. You're, you're, you're paying for that person's fine-tuned uh, blood, sweat, and tears. And possibly either either previous blood, sweat, and tears or current blood, sweat, and tears. But it's, it's more distant still. It doesn't have quite the same story. Unless a person... I mean, and that's where I think coffee, beer, wine, all of these kind of things... They or or even uh, CSAs and and farming and all these things sell so much better, and not selling in like the 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 negative sense of like the the pessimistic sense of like oh we're just trying to make money or whatnot. I mean, it's more in the sense of 
you know, it just, it, people are more motivated to spend money on hard, their own hard earned money on something that has a story that we can connect with because we are pretty human. And I mean, not as much around an oral tradition of sharing stories around a campfire, but it's still, I mean, we're kind of like, I think a lot of people are really kind of drawn to that. And those that aren't can save a lot of money, I guess that way too, because then they're not, they don't get lured into all the stories, but I'm lured into stories. I like stories. I like it. I think it adds to the experience and that's what it's all about. It's about the, like the experience and the, the enjoyment of, and flavor being so much flavor and aroma in the experience of it being so much about the whole picture and not just the thing that's being tasted. So for me, it like, I want those stories. Yeah. And I think everyone appreciates home cooked or home brewed or fermented foods to a certain extent. Some people love it more than others, but, um, and I think a lot of people like benefiting and getting the end result more so than actually making it. Um, cause I have some friends who are like, man, you are crazy. You do what you make, you make bread. Why don't you just go buy it? Um, or the same thing with yogurt or any other kind of, why don't you just beer takes so long to brew? It takes the whole day. And then you have to wait a few weeks before you can even drink it or however long. Why don't you just go buy beer instead of making it? And part of the making it is the fun. To me, that's the fun part. And, um, you know, and also I like giving it to people and watching people eat it and enjoy it. But, um, yeah, so it's definitely a certain type of person that likes to do all that work and see that kind of gratification. Yeah, different terms that I like that I, I think have become more popular and more in, in, in tech and other realms, but like the maker community, the DIY community. I mean, there's just, there are people that want to do all these kind of things and people that would rather just pay someone else to do it. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with either. And we kind of need both, but yeah, there's just something so fascinating about not only getting to learn about these kind of things, uh, because I, again, I've never brewed beer at home. I've, I or not, not any kind of beers that we're kind of talking about here. Like I've, I've, made alcohols, but more like wild fermentations or whatnot. So things that really don't take very long to start or to get going or like going into the, as opposed to making sake rice wine, like a a very fine tuned method of, of, or methods of making a specific kind of style of beverage. Instead, I, I I make some of the more like the the Chinese rice wines uh, or the Korean rice wines that are way easier to just kind of throw a yeast ball into and, and get the, get the rice wine from the mold yeast and bacteria. So like, I kind of, I'm kind of drawn to the things that are easier, I think in some ways, like not, or not easier in the sense of maybe less particular. And, um, in, in that sense, I am drawn to that because I like to then learn everything I can about what's actually going on in such a relatively simple process. Um, and I feel like the, the one thing that's kept me away from home beer brewing, besides the fact that I don't really drink much or at all, but I taste beers. So like I, my wife's more the one that drinks. And so like, I will taste her. So that, that's some of it, but I would still just in the aspect of like the DIY aspect of things, I'm really intrigued by it, but it's kind of like cheese in a lot of ways in my mind that it's so people get very specific home brewers get very specific on these kind of things and in which I'm totally drawn to, but at the same time, um, it doesn't have that like free flowing creative sense to me in the same way. It seems very rigid and, uh, sterilization and, uh, using specific strains. It, it's a little harder for me to wrap the, the romance and excitement around it. So can you help me with that? 
with the my long-winded question there is like can you like where is the fun in or the 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 interest in spending an entire day brewing something that if a person looks at 29 cents a pint that's not very much but then if they if if they consider that terminal term of time as money what makes it worth it? Because if you start adding up all the time in that day, then it may or may not be worth it depending on how much each person's time's worth. I think it's just, I like doing it. And a lot of other people love home brewing because I think for them, it's the same thing. Like you like making cheeses um, and yogurts and some people may hate, may hate doing that, but they love brewing beer. I don't know. I think maybe some of it, I mean, I find brewing beer is very social because it does kind of take the whole day and you can get a lot of people to come and help you. Um, and, uh, I've had some people come and help me brew beer. Um, and usually, and then other times it's just my husband and myself, but that's a good time for us. Like the whole day we get to spend it together. Um, we get to talk and we sit down and, um, you know, talk about what, how we're going to brew it and do it and like our next steps. And we kind of work as a team to finish brewing the beer, but it's also just a time for us to just sit down and talk. Um, not that we don't talk and we're just, you know, walking around the house, uh, as mutes, but it's just something that we do together. Um, and it's really fun. And then afterwards when it's all said and done and bottled or kegged or whatever, we get to share it with people and say like, Hey, we did this together. Same as with cheeses. I mean, you make cheeses and then you get to share it with other people and see joy in, in, in their eyes or in their mouths and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's just for me, I like it for the social aspect. Other people might like it because it's cheap. Um, and, uh, they like, they like that. Maybe it's only one strain or two strains and it's everything is solid or sterilized and, pure and clean before they even add the yeast. So maybe that's something that they like too, and they know what they're going to get. Very true. I mean, so kind of the mad scientists, like at home in their, in their little lab, orchestrating everything and getting everything turned out just, just the way they want it. Yeah. It's just, I think that some people are really drawn to that. Um, and to know the science behind it, and then you can easily figure out and troubleshoot what happened to it if something goes wrong. So I, I think that has a big aspect of it too. Now, um, where do you fall in, in there? Because it sounds like you do take a lot more of the social aspect of it. You take a little bit more lax of an approach compared to, I'm sure, the knowledge that you have on fermenting beers using your relatively inexpensive setup. Like, uh, have you read the book Cooked by Michael Pollan? I haven't. It's on my list. It's on my Amazon list. But I think it's really interesting. Like I all, I picked it up and I read the back of it a few months ago and I almost bought it just, just to buy it to just have it ready for when I'm ready to read it. But I haven't read it yet. Well, it's worth reading not only because there's a bunch of the a, an entire section on fermentation, or actually quite a bit on fermentation. I think I, I can't remember like 100 or 200 plus pages that are all fermentation related in one form or another, because he spends a, a section on talking about bread on, on uh, beer and, and wine making, and then on just vegetable fermentation. So there's a section on beer where you really do have the, like he meets up with some of the people that are using very specific measurements to be able to troubleshoot, to be able to know exactly what they're going to get. To me, that loses a little bit of fun, but I could see where some people really like it. 
So like, where do you fall into the realm? Because it seems like, like I would assume you're kind of that mad scientist that's, that's like calculating everything exactly. Or is it because you're so knowledgeable, it is a breeze for you and it's really not much work because you already know all this, the, the, the hard science. Oh, no, no, no. I still stress out about it when we're doing it um, because you do have to get the temperature just right. And for, you know, X many minutes just to get it, the fermentation in like the um, green beer, the wort right before you even add the yeast. Um, so I do like that part. And I do like being really precise and accurate and consistent. So um, I do, I guess I'm more of the mad scientist in that side of it and just because I, I know what it's supposed to taste like, um, depending on the type of beer that we're making. And if it doesn't turn out like that, then I'm slightly disappointed because then it's kind of like, oh, I just spent the whole day doing this. Oh, it doesn't, it's not, I've waited like weeks and it just doesn't taste right. Or it's not like what I expected it to taste like. Um, and I ha- there's a lot of high hopes involved that I get a little disappointed. So I like being very precise and measuring it and making sure everything's right. The yeast is fermenting the way they should be and all that kind of stuff. So I think I fall on the, and plus it's just like really cool science in my mind. Um, it makes sense to me. Other people know a lot about, um, law and lawyers and that kind of thing. They love that. And I have, I can barely read a legal sentence and understand what it means. Like, what are you talking about? Reading contracts is so much fun. (laughs) Oh, it's so confusing. Um, but I mean, they people love that kind of stuff. So I just fall into and they find it really easy and it makes sense to them. Whereas I, to me, fermentation just makes sense. Um, so maybe I'm a little more lax just because in my mind, it doesn't take that long to figure it out or understand what's happening. So I can be like, no, this is probably okay. Um, whereas other people um, have to really think about it. And um, so I don't know, but I fall, I fall more on the definitely the science side, but I also like, I think I, we talked about this in the last episode. I like writing stuff down and having it really organized and having clear, concise thoughts and then going back and referring to them. If something doesn't go right, so then I can figure it out. So I'm really kind of getting mixed images here. So I'm imagining like a nice social event (laughs) with friends or whatnot. And then I'm imagining you like huddled in the corner, like stressing out about getting everything exactly right or, or, or like, um, shouting at someone because they made uh, a mistake because they didn't know what they were doing. And, um, like, so (laughs) I guess I'm not that, I'm not that bad. I mean, it's, I, I'm personally, I'm pretty easygoing and if something doesn't go right, it's, it's, you know, that's just the way it's going to happen and I can't control everything. So, um, and it is, I mean, then I guess I look at it and be like, well, that might be something that might be, that'll probably add some flavor or that'll just make it interesting. And then, but it's easy, but it's easy to track if there is something, if something changes because someone doesn't do something the right way, it's easy to figure out what happened because everything else was uniformly the same. And are you tracking who's doing this as well so that you can call someone out and be like, it was actually uh, this person's fault this time why the beer sucked? <laughs> no, I would never throw anyone under the bus. Um, I It doesn't, I mean. You get warm and fuzzy inside knowing in the back of your mind who did it. Yeah, I mean, I like, I, but I don't point fingers and throw people under the bus because, you know, sometimes people are just trying to help out and they don't mean to do something and I'm just, doesn't, it's okay doesn't bother me <laughs> but then i might go home or like go back to inside and be like i totally ruined it i can't believe it um in yes. the privacy of my own home internal dialogue yeah it's yeah. uh 
Yeah, I think you wouldn't. I think it'd be hard to get your whole like communal communal kind of feeling to things if you were really harsh on all of your friends that are willing to help. Yeah. Although they are getting, I'm assuming they're drinking it as well. So it's like it's not only are they they helping, but like that's that's the nice thing about this this communal kind of stuff. It's like everyone gets to reap the benefits too. Like everyone works a little hard. It's kind of like most of us aren't working on a farm and uh, like everyone in the village joining in for the the fall harvest and getting to enjoy and like a huge feast. But this is kind of a way to like artificially recreate those kind of feelings. Yeah, be- and it's it's I like sharing the food that I make because like we just sometimes we have so much food that we need to give it to people. Otherwise, it's going to go bad, and then I feel then no one gets to enjoy it. Which we already know from your seeing your refrigerator image <laughs> last week that uh, things do still go bad even when you're actually trying to. Yeah. Well, that was a really, that was a, when I, after we spoke and I went to take a picture of my fridge, I realized how bad it was because, um, well, it was right after Valentine's day and, uh, my husband bought me, um, a cake that is still in the fridge. Um, so that took up a lot of space and there's just lots of random stuff in there that usually isn't in there. Like right now, if you opened our fridge, cause there's no food in it. Um, it, there's, it's just like a gleaming white light and that's about it maybe some well then the keepers in there too and tiny and what's going on with that whole thing um but there's really not much food in there anymore so that was just a like we had just gone to the grocery store and that was pretty bad but um sure now it seems like you're backtracking after you uh you took your image and you're like oh it's, it's really not like that it's really it's really well it's so intimidating it's kind of like looking in someone's underwear drawer um when they open your fridge you can tell a lot about a person Oh yeah. <laughs> when you look in their fridge. Um, so it wasn't until I, I looked at the picture later, I was like, oh, well, I guess people know that we like cottage cheese. Um, oh yeah. That, no, see that? I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. I definitely saw the cake front and center. Um, yeah. That was from Valentine's day. So we're still, we're still working on that. Um, we were supposed to have some friends come over this past weekend to help us eat it, but um, that someone, it just didn't happen. And, uh, so hopefully tonight we'll finish it off Sunday night. Um, well then you know, it's, cause we pre-record these episodes. So it's Sunday night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, well given that, that there was one other thing that you had mentioned that we should throw out real quick and you're going to try a bread, right? A country bread that you saw in New York times. Yeah. I saw this last night, um, when I was reading it on my Kindle and, uh, it looks really good. The picture looks fantastic. Um, hold on. Let me apples and bread or yeah. apples in bread apples kneaded together, bread. chopped apples. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. Kind of and hard have... cidery kind of or like a cidery kind of flavor. Maybe. I think so. I'm not sure. And that's what kind of intrigued me about it because, um, the, I, I, I think it would be really tasty and I just don't know what it would taste like. That's other, even though I think it'd t- be tasty. I don't know what it would taste like. It's like this whole fusing of flavors um but they have the whole recipe on the new york times and um we'll put it in the show notes uh and it looks pretty simple um and they have things in grams instead of well they also have oh hey yes very the the cups and everything like that but it's in grams to show how much it is important or how important it is to do things metrically now that i've converted yes listen to those (laughs) few sessions of episodes that we had that we're talking about our scales it's yeah. exciting. Um, and so I, well, and the, you know, sometimes when you read, when you see a recipe, you like briefly skim through it, like, oh yeah, mix it, put it in a bowl. Okay. Whatever. I can do that. But, um, 
I, I don't, at what, at one point it was talking about, um, Oh, I was reading about how they did their dough fermentation because, you know, I'm trying to get better with my sourdough. And um, there was one step that we, you and I had discussed earlier um, where they put their bread in the refrigerator for eight hours or something like that. And that's considered part of the fermentation. Because the it slow says, fermentation. Yeah, because it says total time about 30 minutes prep time and then 16 and a half hour total fermentation time. And then in parentheses, it says unsupervised. <laughs> unsupervised. Yes, that's, I like that term. That's a good term for fermentation. Yeah, unsupervised. Um, so I, I found that really interesting because in my mind, knowing of the science behind what's happening in, during the fermentation, if you put something in a very cold environment like the refrigerator, it's going to slow down the fermentation process or halt it altogether. So I thought that was really interesting. I'm going to do, I'm going to follow the recipe as is and see what happens because I'm, it's like really bugging me. The whole putting it in the fridge thing, but you have brought up some very interesting points when we were talking about it. What well, is something that is common, like a lot of that proofing or slow fermentation does or is is pretty common in, in bread baking. I mean, there's so many, so many books that are focused on, on bread baking. That's definitely one of the ways that that the leavening action and more importantly, the complexity and flavor is supposedly unfolding. And so I'm just curious how much of that is fermentation, how much of that is otherwise. And so I think we should definitely follow up on this uh, and kind of look into it a little bit more. And because I've, I mean, I put things in the, the refrigerator. I mean, I'll put like a pizza dough in the refrigerator and bring it back out. I mean, it's still spending, you know, like three to six hours fermentation time out at room temperature once, I mean, once it's brought up to room temperature and the flavor is a little different if it's left, like if I leave it overnight in the refrigerator, because if I left it all night out, I would just, I wouldn't have that nice thin Neapolitan style crust that I'm looking for. So, um, I can't leave it out too long, but like I, the flavor gets a little bit more developed unless it's all in my head. So that's why we got to look into that. Yeah. So we'll report back. Hopefully I get time to do it this week. Um, I probably do. If not, I'll do it this weekend, this coming weekend. You should make it with the active dry yeast that calls for, because that's kind of, mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're okay with using those infant yeast reference back to a, I don't know which episode we talked. Was that last week that we talked about? No, that was a few, I'd say like three or four weeks ago. Talking about baby, baby, baby yeast being frozen. Baby yeast. Yeah. You're going to try it that way. If I can, which I will not commit to at this moment, but if possible, I'll try and make it with the, the sourdough, see what the difference is and, and we can compare breads. Okay. Not that that's any way scientific, but in the sense of just uh, little little competitions. Let's see. Let's 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 see which one works better. But then, like, how are we going to taste? I guess we can look at. We'll take pictures. This will be sure. a completely visual, um, yeah. uh, visual thing. So. Oh no. Okay, visual thing more so than taste. I guess you eat. You can eat with your eyes. So we'll just eat with our eyes. I'll oh, eat. Uh, we can we can do it a, a live. Well, a recorded tasting with each other, like uh, that you might've been. Are you going to mail me some bread? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that we like, would both yeah. lose. Okay. So we're each going to taste our own bread. Um, and, uh, compare 
It's not going to work. But pretty much, yeah, just you try it that way. We'll try it this way. And then just anecdotally hear how those kind of things go. And then maybe we'll sway the other one. Like you're on the active dry yeast team. I'll be on the sourdough team. And we'll be trying to we'll debate with each other as to why we should be going the other way. And then um, we'll see. We'll see. Like a debate. Yeah, a debate. There you go. Because that doesn't have to be based on what the other person experiences. So her. Yeah. So yeah. Sourdough versus dry yeast debate coming soon. Coming soon. Okay. No problem. You got it. I will do it this weekend. How about that? Oh, I don't know if I'll have time during the week to do it, but I'll do it this weekend. Okay. So in a couple episodes, we'll follow up on that. Hopefully soon. We will, we will do this. We will start our, we'll start our bake-off competitions. Yeah. I'm just really interested because some of the ingredients are kind of fun too, because you use sparkling cider. Um, you don't have to, use, it doesn't, it specifically says Martinelli's, um, which is a non-alcoholic cider. And then, um, it also says Granny Smith apples. So the fact that they even define what kind of apples you should use, I think, um, which would be important. Be really mind. good. I bet, I bet my bread's going to, yours is going to be way more sour tasting than mine because you're going to use the sourdough and starter and the Granny Smith apples, but we'll see. That's part of the fun. Well, you're following the recipe exactly. I'm already changing anyway, so let's let's. I'm gonna. I I might. I'm gonna have to look at the ingredients. I might slightly alter things anyway because the first thing I see is like Granny Smith apples, and if I don't need that much tartness coming from the Granny Smith apples, maybe a different selection of apple might be a good a better choice. So I'm not saying I'll switch anything. Okay. Well, the scientist in me is totally saying that you're completely going off track because they need to be the same except for one variable needs to change <laughs> well we already so decided totally that... making it different we're well... not making the same breads in that point <laughs> well okay well okay if you want to talk about variables ha- do you have your oven um uh calibrated to proper temperature oh probably not i mean <laughs> I think that we're already going to be cooking different breads. Okay. Um, That's true too. Okay. So, well, we'll just, we'll just see whose bread tastes better and then just take notes on what you do different. These are, these are, <laughs> um, let's, let's just, this isn't an experiment. This is a, a debate competition. That's true. Okay. It's well, that's we being just... judged by each other. So we'll see. <laughs> We'll see how this goes. Uh, maybe we'll get people. Maybe we'll start doing this regularly and make something more fun about it. Like uh, other people can uh, can vote on whose looks better. So we yeah, that'd be fun too. Um, okay, well, I will take lots of pictures and um, we could we'll even post it as a blog post or something. Yes, we we'll, we'll get into this. We'll start doing more. We'll start doing more uh, recipe things, either ones that we come up with or ones that we find and and actually do. So we can do more of that. But I guess we should probably wrap up with with that um it's a nice way to end uh and so you can find the show notes at firmup.com slash podcast slash 54 and you can also find us on twitter at firm up or facebook at firm up and anywhere else at firm up and we will see you next time and until then firm up